So let's, let's bow our heads before we get into the word. Our Father, we give you all the glory. Father, you brought all of us into this hall safely. You gave us ears to listen to what's about to be said. Father, help us to hear as well from your word. Make our hearts fertile, Lord. Lord, even if you had kept us in hell for a little while, that would still be kind of fair for what we've done. But you haven't. You've made us ambassadors of your So Lord, take these words. Father, be at the center of this today. Be at the center of our teaching. Reveal Christ more in our hearts. And as Richard said, let us go away from here, changed by your word, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. Right. Today's title, thank you very much. Today's title is, Do You Know Him? (laughs) Do You Know Him? Christ Manifested is our study for today. And, And I think the cults, by the way, in fact, I know the cults are always attacking the Trinity the deity of Christ. So I think it's important that we just remember and also hold steadfast so that we have the knowledge to share with those Jehovah's Witnesses or Mormons or whoever they are that seem to bring down the title of Christ or who he is in his identity. Uh, So today I want us to uh, get a bit more of a glimpse and hopefully get a bit more of a revelation of who Christ is. Because many Christians... They have this, uh, this idea that there's this father who's full of wrath in the Old Testament. Full of anger and wrath and death and punishment, right? And then there's gentle Jesus, meek and mild, in the New Testament. But that's a completely incorrect perception. It's absolutely incorrect. So today as we go through these scriptures, you know, I want us to know that it's not the father alone who related with the Israelites and the Jews in the Old Testament, I want you to see that it's Jesus. I want you to understand that it's Jesus in the Old Testament and it's Jesus in the New. In fact, when I was doing this study, the only time I actually saw the Father speak was at the baptism of Christ, where he said, this is my son in whom... And at the transfiguration. Remember when the cloud came over and he said, this is my son, listen to him. Now, now other than that, the words of God, are Jesus's in the Old Testament. Now, I know some of this doesn't make sense right now. We're going to go into the Word, okay? And I'm going to show you through the Word because actually the Bible reveals within itself. So there's interpretation within itself. So we're going to go through Scriptures. And it's not just going to be my point of view. I want everyone to go home or you have your Bibles now. Check what I'm saying with your own Scriptures. Make sure it's correct. And I want to start actually in Genesis chapter 1. That's a good place to start, isn't it, guys? What's the first book of the Bible? Good. If you knew quantum physics, I'd hoping you'd know that one. Genesis chapter 1. Okay. I'm going to read 
from verse 1 actually for good reading. I'll read from verse 1. It says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Right? So you see the Father there? You see the Spirit of God? Here comes verse 3. Then God said, Let there be light. And there was light. Well, let's check this a second, because it's only, by the way, later on in verse 14 that he puts the stars we just talked about, the firmament in the sky. On the fourth day is when the sun comes. Our perception of light is what? If you ask nine out of ten people on the streets, where do we get our light from? What will they say? The sun. But let's go back here to verse 3, guys. Then God said, let there be light. Have you ever thought about that? What light is that? Well, let's go to John chapter 8, verse 12. Scripture, revealing Scripture. John chapter 8, verse 12. Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Wow. So we've got the Father and we have the Spirit hovering. In the third verse... The father seems to say, let me introduce my son. Go ahead, son, shine your light. He's not talking about the sun over there in the sky. He's saying, Jesus, shine your light, my son. And the light of the world came upon. You guys know who this is, don't you? You can pretty much figure out what's going on here. And if we really want to go down quantum physics... Guess what? There's something called photons that are actually molecularly involved in pretty much every material you have. Photons are light packages. It's everywhere. It's the glue of the universe. That's science. And who says science and faith can't get on? Oh, they get on. They get on. Many a scientist have come to that conclusion. They know there's a great mathematician at work. They're fully aware of that. What they can't understand is the person of Christ, what we're studying today. They can't grasp that he wants an intimate relation. They know there's a mathematician. They can see the accuracies in the universe, by the way. These great scientists, these quantum mechanics, they, they know, even for you to see an eclipse, by the way, you need to have a certain ratio of mathematics for that to even happen. It's the personal relationship that this God wants for you is where science seems to get stuck on. And by the way, in this very verse, the first one are the three axes of the universe. Albert Einstein said, time, space and matter are the three continuums on which this universe exists, the axes. And by the way, that was only in 1940-odd. Here the author of Genesis, guys, is in the beginning. God created the heavens, space and the earth, matter. A man who is not a quantum physics scholar seems to write the continuums of the universe before Albert Einstein. Was he inspired by God? I believe so. I believe he certainly was. But here Jesus is in verse 3. And uh, to build the platform of this message, we need to go to John, the first epistle. So 1 John. Sorry. I'll start again. Actually, it's the book of John first. We'll go to chapter 1, not the epistle. As in after Luke, John. 
And I'm going to read chapter 1, verses 1 to 5. So I want to back up what I've just said about creation and who's involved in creation, before creation. Here we go from verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. Logos in Greek. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. It's beginning to click a bit more now, isn't it? All things were made through Him, including twinkle, twinkle, little stars. Verse 3 is our Saviour manifested. And if you still don't believe me, I'll tell you what, let's go, let's go to 1 John, as in this time we're going to go to the epistle. We're going to go to chapter 3. So 1 John, chapter 3, and this is the platform from which we're going to spring our study. So we need to fully understand this particular scripture. 1 John, chapter 3, verses 5 to 8. I'm reading from 1 John chapter 3, verses 5 to 8. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. Whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteousness, just as he is righteousness. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. That's the verse I want us to hang on there. The Son of God was manifested so that he might destroy the works of the devil. The Greek word for manifested is finero. Finero is literally to just appear. He appears to destroy the works of the devil. What are the works of the devil? This is not rhetorical. Sorry, I'm going to ask certain questions that are not rhetorical. I need answers. So, so let's be interactive on this one. You know, I want us to all get involved here. According to the Bible, there's many believers in front of me with each of you having a supernatural gift. All right? So I need you guys to come back at me here. What is the works of the devil? Sin. Sin. There you go. Sin. It's the works of the devil. And it says here, in this scripture, the Son of God is manifested to destroy this. And we see this manifestation in every book of the Bible. Yeah. We see this manifestation we've just read in every single book of the Bible. Okay. I see a few startled eyes, so let's... Let's go into scripture, guys. Let's go to Genesis 14. Let's start at the very first book. And we have this moment where Lot was taken, kidnapped. A lot of you guys know the story. He's taken to prison. Abraham comes to his rescue and defeats the nations. That's the backdrop of this scripture. So we're going to read from Genesis chapter 14, and I'm going to read from verse 18. Genesis chapter 14, verse 18. 
Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God Most High, and he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abraham of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he, Abraham, gave him a tithe of all. Let that sink in for a little while. So Melchizedek. Let's break that into two halves first. In Hebrew, does anyone know what Melch means? You can put your hands up if you know. Or you can shout it because it looks like not many. Melch means king in the Hebrew language. Melech. Melech is king. Zedek is righteousness. That's what it means in Hebrew. Melech. Zedek. King of righteousness. Okay, let's look at this again. Okay, then the king of righteousness, reigning in a place called Salam. 76, Psalm 76, verse 2, so you know where Salam is, just to back it up. Psalm 76, verse 2, says, In Salam also is his tabernacle, and his dwelling place is Zion. Shalom, Jerusalem. But it doesn't exist, Richard. Who's this person who's the king of righteousness who comes from Salam? Who, by the right now, in this particular moment and time we're reading, is just a rubble of space. Well, how do we know that? Because later on, Abraham is asked to sacrifice Isaac in Mount Moriah. So we know that it doesn't even exist. But here is the king of righteousness, hallelujah, from Salem. And he says, what does he bring out? Bread and wine. I love Jesus. I love the son of the living God. Here he is bringing out bread and wine, the elements of our covenant with him. And he blessed Abraham. This is a theophany. This is the manifestation of the Son of God, which the Apostle John was talking about in 1 John 3, verse 8. How do we know this? Scripture interprets Scripture. This is a very important part of the Bible, guys. We're going to go to Hebrew 7, so you know it's not just Thomas here coming out with some sort of strange theology. Hebrews chapter 7. So the author of Hebrews was studying the scriptures like we're doing today. And he writes here from chapter 7. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of his kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being translated king of righteousness and then also king of Salem, meaning king of peace, without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God. Remains a priest continually. Now consider how great this man was, to whom even the patriarch Abraham gave a tenth of the spoils. And indeed, those who are of the sons of Levi, 
By the way, there were no Levitical priests at that time when Melchizedek was appearing to Abraham. That's 400 years later. Who indeed are the sons of Levi who received the priesthood have a covenant to receive tithes from the people. How many Levitical priests do you guys know, personally? None. Okay, this is for the old covenant. So anyone who preaches tithing understand that this is for the old covenant. But there is a very important reason that Jesus asked of Abraham the spoils from that victory of war. And the author of Hebrews is trying to get us to understand this. And he switches gears here and he says, look, who received... And they have a covenant now, these, these Levites, to receive the tithes from the people according to the law, that this is from their brethren, though they have come from the loins of Abraham. But he whose genealogy is not derived, Melchizedek's genealogy is not derived, receives tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had his promises. Now beyond all contradiction, the lesser is bet, blessed by the better. Here mortal men receive tithes, but there he received them, of whom it was witness that he lives. Even Levi, who received tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, so to speak. And it goes on, and the explanation is this. Jesus made Abraham give those tithes so that the Mosaic covenant can then be placed and the Levitical priests take the offering off the people. And by the way, they then would give 10% of that to the sons of Aaron, who in the temple, you guys, this is ringing bells, in the temple they would offer that as... The sacrifice, the blood covering. And at that time it wasn't money. We're talking animals, salt, wheat, you know, the bread, the showbread and the candle. Bread. All of that was there for the temple. The sons of Aaron would be putting that there based on the tithing the Levitical priests gave. They gave that cover. All of this platform was built by this visitation we're seeing in Genesis. I don't know about you, that blew, that blew my mind. Thank you. I thought I'm just alone in this. <laughs> Thank you for your hallelujah, Russell. This is amazing. This is our Jesus. Here, putting the ordinances in order for the Mosaic covenant even. And he breaks bread and wine. All right, guys. Let's go. Because I wanted to add that thing. A lot of people think that, you know what, Jesus appeared to Abraham to teach him how to tithe. You know how that's been misinterpreted on many occasions. Okay? Don't fall for it. We're going to go to Genesis chapter 22. Koshi didn't have any idea of what I'll be speaking about today. Yet in his psalm, you guys probably picked up the angel of the Lord. We're going to go to Genesis 22. The angel of the Lord in Hebrew is Malak Adonai. Malak Adonai. That's what it says in Hebrew. Messenger of Adonai is God. Malak Adonai. That's what the angel of the Lord means in Hebrew. And now, Genesis, I'm going to read chapter 22 from verse 11. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad 
or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from God. Does it say God in your Bibles? What does it say? Me, me, capital M, Richard, well spotted. Do not underestimate again what's going on here. The fabric of time is being cut. And this is the angel of the Lord saying, You have not withheld your son, your only son, Abraham, from me. This is not an angel. This is the angel. Pick up every time you see the term the angel. It's not an angel. And for him to say me is indicating his deity, divinity, his godness. I'm going to let that sink in for a little while. Because he does appear to Abraham. He does appear to Hagar. He does appear to many others. And uh, I'm going to go through about 60, 60 to 70 or No. So a few sighs there of worry. <laughs> I'll send you guys the notes on the 60. <laughs> so we're going, to go to, we're going to do the highlights of this. It's all over. I want you guys to go back. And, and guys, young, I know I say this all the time. This book, by the way, it contains witches of... Witches? Is it Endor? Witches of Endor, demons... The creator, the one who creates the universe. It blows away any science fiction or fictional thing you guys can have. Samuel goes to a witch. I'm sorry, Saul, King Saul goes to a witch to bring up the prophet Samuel. And I'll let you guys read on. This is amazing. We we should read this more often. So we're going to go to next Exodus 3, guys. We're running short on time already. It's a shame. So let's... Go to Exodus 3. Whenever you see the term Lord in your Bible, capital L, and then small capital R, small capital, you know, slightly lower, but caps lock. Do you guys know what that means? In the Hebrew, it's Yudhe Yudhe, the unpronounceable sovereign name of God. That's what the translator is trying to translate there. So whenever you see Lord in small caps, it's Yudhe, which Yahweh, the unpronounceable, Pronounceable, sovereign name of God. And here we have in Exodus 3 verse 1, I'm going to read. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of the bush. So he looked and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight. Why does this bush not burn? So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, here I am. Hang on a minute. Verse 1 started with the angel of the Lord. Then he went to Lord and God. That's not the Trinity. This is Jesus. This is Jesus. And he's, he's coming again, guys. And he's saying here, look, Moses, Moses, here I am. Do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet. For the place where you stand is holy. And if we're left in any doubt, verse 6 tells us, Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, 
the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. We understand Moses, right? In his thinking, he thinks that if you look on the face of, which is right, the father, you, will, you will, won't be around much longer after that. But he doesn't fully understand the concept of who is here at the bush. Okay, If he knew that, he wouldn't have had that particular reaction. But we kind of understand why he had that reaction. And let's go to verse 14. And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Let's go for scripture to interpret scripture. I am. So Moses was, I need to go down there and tell these stiff-necked people your name, by the way. Okay? He's, he's, he's telling the angel of the Lord in the bush, what's your name? And we're going to see this recurring theme. When, when, we, when you come to an intimate point with Christ, there seems to be a reaction from these prophets. And What's your name? <coughs> it says here, I am the I am. John chapter 8. Verse 57. We're hopping about a bit, but we have to because Scripture interprets Scripture. And for today's purposes, I want us to really get an identity or a clearer vision of Christ. John chapter 8, verse 57 and 58. Then the Jews said to him, You are not yet 50 years old, and you have seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Then they took up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them and passed by. Did they pick up stones to throw him because he said he's not yet 50 years old? That would be a bit harsh, wouldn't it? So they threw stones at him. They threw stones at him because what he was declaring here is incredible. Okay? They would have known it. It's scandalous in their eyes. He has literally put the mantle of Yahweh on him. Today people try to debate, argue, what did he really mean? Did he? he?" The Jews got it. (laughs) They picked up stones. Remind yourself of that, because sometimes I think to myself, these other people who seem to be putting doubt in our heads. Listen, those who were there with first-hand witnesses had absolutely no doubt what Jesus was claiming here to be. So when a Muslim says to you, where does Jesus say, or claim with his own mouth that he was God? You say to them, oh, you're so scholarly, Mr. Muslim. Come with me to Exodus 3.14. Now come with me to John 8.58. Assuredly, Not semi-nervously. Jesus didn't say it with a little bit of anxiety. Assuredly. You almost hear the Lion of Judah roaring, can't you? He would have said, I am. Book of Numbers, guys. This is the mad prophet Balaam. Chapter 22. I'm not going to read all of it. It's still just a platform. We will get to the main message. Yes, we've got time. Numbers 22. 
maybe I shouldn't say the mad prophet Balaam, so excuse me for that. But nevertheless, there's a few strange things he did. Balaam encounters the angel of the Lord. And we pick it up from verse 22. That's Numbers 22, verse 22. Then God's anger was aroused because he went, and the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way. So just a bit of a backdrop here. Balaam went despite God telling him not to go. Some of you guys know the story, right? Because he had Barak, a king, who'd come and said, look, come and curse these Israelites who've come to this land. We need you to come and curse. And he went to God, and God initially said, they're my people, don't go. So what did Barak do? He came and put more money in this prophet's way. Come on, ask your God again. And he went and asked his God again. You know, it made me think, by the way, today, nowadays, preachers, there are preachers out there who have compromised, right, because of money. Let's not look at Balaam as a a sole identity here. Nowadays, people will go back to God and say, come on, there must be a loophole somewhere here, Lord. I really want this to happen. Let me find the gray area in the scripture. You know, let me come to you again. I know what you said initially, but let me come to you again. Make this happen for me. And God lets him go. And I've scratched my head and I thought, you know, it's because he gave him a chance for repentance. It's okay, then there you go. You go. See what's going to happen to you, Balaam. And it says here, the Lord took a stand against as an adversary against him, and he was riding on his donkey, and his two servants were with him. Now the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way, with his drawn sword, it's important, we're going to hold that, with his drawn sword in his hand, and the donkey turned aside out of the way, and went into the field. So Balaam struck the donkey to turn her back on the road. He hit the donkey. You guys have all heard messages like this before, where they say, you know, God can even use a donkey. He's using one right now, I feel, right now. I'm not scripturally sound at all, right? Okay. He can use a donkey. And the donkey, seeing the angel of the Lord with a sword drawn. The sword is important. I want you to stay there and remember this for later on. And the donkey moves out the way. In verse 24, then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path. Who said narrow is the way? The angel of the Lord stands at a narrow path. Between the vineyards, I believe they were red grapes, by the way, with a wall on this side and a wall on that side. Drawn sword. Red grape vineyards. This is important imagery. This is incredible. And and just a couple bit more platform building here for our messages. Judges 2, verse 1. We go to Judges 2. Verse 1, we will see here, the angel of the Lord makes an outstanding claim. Reading from Judges, chapter 2, verse 1. Then the angel of the Lord, Malak Adonai, came up from Gilgal to Bochim and said, I led you, I led you up from Egypt and brought you to the land which I swore to your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you. The angel of the Lord says it was me. I'm the one that led you 1.2 million out of Egypt. By day, the cloud. By night, the pillar of fire. You guys still with me? And here, he's saying, look, that was me. That was me. Jesus. 
This is still platform building, guys. So it gets a bit more fascinating in, uh, in the book of Judges. And this, this really blew me away. Go to chapter 6 with me, please. We go to verse 11. Judges, chapter 6, verse 11. This is Gideon, his encounter. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was in opera, which belonged to Joash the Abizrite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the wine presses in order to hide it from the Midian. But where did the angel of the Lord appear? By the terebinth tree. By the way, in Genesis 18, he appears to Abraham by the terebinth tree. I think the authorized version, some of your Bibles might say the oak tree as opposed to the terebinth tree, right? But the Hebrew is Elah. E-L-A-H. Strong tree. So that's all it is. Because the cedar was in Lebanon. But the terebinth and the oak, that's why the Bibles have that. But here we have the angel of the Lord appearing on numerous occasions by the strong tree. You're kind of getting this, aren't you? Okay? There's the tree is part of this. Remember what John wrote in 1 John 3. He has come to manifest to destroy the works of the enemy. Keep holding on to these verses. Okay, so he was by a tree. Abraham, in Genesis 18, he's by a tree of Mamre. So, why is this important? Well, 1 Samuel 17, the famous battle. David versus Goliath. In fact, someone can help me by reading uh, Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel chapter 17, 1 and 2, while I go to the next scriptures. 1 Samuel chapter 17, verses 1 and 2. In the valley of where, Russell? What does Elah mean? Here we have the champion of the Philistines, the enemies of the people of God. The champion of the Philistines drawing battle with David, who represents his people. And they're in the valley of the strong tree. David, through the power of the Lord, overcomes the enemy in the valley of the strong tree. This is a typology. I hope it's beginning to click you guys like it did for me. This is amazing. And we have the angel of the Lord appearing by the tree, by the strong tree, because the tree later on is going to be key to destroying the works of the enemy. And here we are. The battle that we all know of took place in the valley of Oh, we praise God. We give him all the glory. Jesus came to destroy his enemy on a cross. And on that tree he hanged. 
Cursed, the Bible says, is anyone who hangs on a tree. That's the platform for our message today. The platform's over. We're going to now go into the message. I needed to build that platform so you know the person who is Christ. You know that he's manifested in every single book of the Old Testament. He was there from Genesis, and he'll be there all the way to Revelations. We give him the glory. The angel of the Lord is Jesus. The angel of the Lord. Malak Adonai is Yeshua, the Mashiach, our Messiah, our Savior. Today's study is Genesis chapter 32. And we're going to spend some time here now, so we don't have to worry about jumping to and fro. It's one of my favorite theophanies. Genesis chapter 32, verses 22. We're going to read to the end of that chapter. And we have, yep, okay, we've got 20 minutes. Backdrop to this story, and it's important. And I want the youth especially to pay attention to the backdrop of Jacob's story. It's an interesting life. So before we we pick it up in 22, a lot has happened. Jacob, he's always searching for fulfillment, right? What can complete me? What can I get to complete me? I feel like there's a little hole in my heart, Jacob says. So he ran after his father's blessing, which wasn't meant to be for him. But through deception, he acquired the blessing. Did it fulfill him? No. He ran off. He ran off and, uh, well, I'm fast-forwarding a bit. He sees a beautiful lady, a beautiful girl in the field. Her name was, there's no oranges, but please shout out. <laughs> Don't leave me alone because there's no oranges. What was her name? Jacob saw this beautiful girl, the Bible says. Rachel, that's right. And what does he do? Laban, Rachel's father, says, well, you work with me for seven years in my fields, you can have Rachel. So he's thinking, oh, here you go, I'm going to fill this hole now, finally. I get the beautiful girl, right? So in a way, he's gone after prosperity teaching, the blessing didn't work. (laughs) He's come here now and he's looked at the world and he's seeing, you know, beautiful girl and all the things, by the way, of the world, Josiah... All the things of the world, and he's thinking this beautiful girl's gonna. But what it ended up doing was making him a sucker for what could have been a trap. It was a trap. He worked for seven years. Did he get Rachel? No. He got Leah. Guys, the world promises you a lot. It won't give you what it promises you. Okay? It never gives you. It will leave you feeling empty. But he still didn't learn his lesson. And he was tempted again. Say, look, work another seven years and you get Rachel. And of course he did. He did. He worked. He got Rachel. Did it fill the hole in his heart? Did it fill? No. He's running away. In his mind, psyche, he's thinking, I'm this brother, Esau, he's after me. I've taken his blessing, you know, and he's running away from the thing that he lost or, or doesn't want to confront. And for whoever it is today, guys, who wants to take this word away... Confront your fear. Confront your fear. Don't run away from it. If you have something that troubles you or makes you anxious, take it to the Lord. Because if you run away from it, the eventuality is uh, pretty bad. Confront it, guys. And here we have, in verse 22, finally, he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to meet my brother. The brother I've been running away from all these years... I'm going to confront him. And something extraordinary 
happens. Let's read from verse 22. And he arose at night and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven sons, and crossed over the ford of Jabok. Excuse me. He took them, sent them over the brook, and sent over what he had. Then Jacob was left alone. Let's pause. The time you guys have with your Lord, our Lord, should be alone. Corporate worship is wonderful. And I love it. But this extraordinary moment, where we're about to see the fabric of space and time be torn up again, happens when he's alone. When you're alone. Guard your alone time like your eternal salvation depends on it. Because it does. Guard your time behind the closed door like your eternal salvation hinges on it. Alone. Okay, let's move further. Then Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. This was no short matter. This was no five minute prayer that I'm guilty of too. Last minute at the end of the day, you know, I'll spend a couple of minutes with him. Is what I used to be there and sometimes we do it, right? You're tired and you think I'm going to... You know you've only lasted 10 minutes in prayer mode here. This was till the break of day. He's got an issue. He's got something that needs to be dealt with and he wrestled with him till the break of day. Hold on and press in in your prayer until you see breakthrough. Don't push back. Don't push back. Jesus says it. Our Saviour says it. The kingdom, of the, God is, the kingdom of God is violent. We started it on Saturday. And who? Who the one who lays hold on him? And the violent shall? Press on prayer. Just because you think it hasn't worked, or, that doesn't stop you. In the Garden of Gethsemane, there where he was sweating drops of blood, the Bible says he prayed more earnestly. And I know whatever problems we are going through, just imagine that moment for Jesus, right? This is a real issue that causes blood to sweat from his brow. And despite not feeling the peace he's praying for from the Father, he, does he give up and walk away? The Bible says he prays more earnestly. All day, till the break of day, till the breaking of day. Verse 25, now when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. I'm laughing because I'm picturing Jacob here right now for a second. You've just, guys, just imagine this. You're wrestling with someone. You're thinking you're kind of on a palm, kind of getting here. And then this opponent touches your hip, and you get dislocated. <laughs> I would be trembling at this point. <laughs> okay? Just imagine, I'd be like, okay, maybe this isn't a fair battle. (laughs) He's reminding him, the man is reminding him of his power. I hear some people say, "You you know, I wish I had a life of prayer. And they get a life of prayer. The part that they feel that's the strongest of them gets dislocated. And they spend the rest of their lives on their knees praying. So be careful when you ask. Because here, the strength would have been there. You know the wrestling? Right? Jacob would have thought, this is where my strength is. I've got this guy. <laughs> no, you don't. Here's a touch. 
I believe he was dealing with Jacob's pride. And he said, let me go for the day breaks. This mysterious man says, let me go for sunlight is coming in. And upon his face, light will shine. And he's keen to get away here. Let me go, he says to Jacob. Daylight is breaking. What does Jacob say? Oh, sure, no worries. You'd think so, right? His tip has just been dislocated. He's losing this battle. Does he say, thank God for... He... You see, Jacob finally has worked out that this is what I should have been searching for all my life. This is what makes me whole. This, this man, this person I'm wrestling with, this is him. This is it. It's not the blessing from my father. It's not Rachel or Leah or anything else the world could offer me. And trust me, a lot of us have walked down that path and worked it out the hard way. But here he is. I've got, I've got it. I've got him. I've got, I've got him. He's in. He's here, right here in front of me. I'm not letting go of you until you bless me. Oh, friends, I pray that all of us get there. I pray that all of us get there. And I'm flawed sometimes. I'm just crying for hours because I tell you what, when you feel his presence, it's amazing. It's awesome. And Jacob. Here, in this moment of time, is not going to give up here. Despite what he's going through. He says, bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? It's a bit strange. Here I am, talking about the divinity and deity and power of this person. And he doesn't know his name. Is Thomas wrong? Maybe this man isn't who Thomas is alluding to. Why does he ask his name? Does anyone know? Sorry, it's not rhetorical. <laughs> no oranges. Any suggestions? Because he wants um, Jacob to see that a change of name is the most significant thing. Amen. Amen. Because what does Jacob mean? Jacob has a meaning in Hebrew of deceiver. Rotten, sinner, a deceiver. And Jesus wants him to repent. The point of repentance is key. He's getting Jacob to say, look, I'm a deceiver. I repent. Isn't that awesome? Isn't it awesome that it's even God who brings you to that point? Where we recognize our sin, we recognize our filth. The problem with with the the modern church is they don't want to tell man that their state is in this. It's the biggest issue, they're dancing around it. Some people, in fact I heard someone saying there's there's a lady pastor in West London who calls it stuff. She won't use the word sin from the lectern. She says the stuff in your life. This man... Wants to be clear with Jacob. I need to hear repentance from you. 
before anything gets blessed. And the gospel of salvation is important, but it's not the entire gospel. It's the kingdom. We learned it yesterday. Go preach the kingdom. Salvation is critical and an integral part of the kingdom and the journey. But know this, before salvation, repentance is needed. Repentance, as a byproduct, brings you into belief of the gospel, which brings you into obedience where you get baptized. Then you walk here and you realize justification happens. You know that by the work of the Spirit, a regeneration happens in your body. And then later on, for for witnessing, there is a baptism of the Holy Spirit. This is meant to be milk, guys. These are the basics. That's what the Apostle Paul says. We should know these things. Me too. Oh, he makes Jacob repent. Jacob does. And then he blesses him. And Jacob asks him, tell me your name, I pray. And he said, why, why do you ask my name? Why is it that you ask my name? And without telling him his name, he blesses him. So Jacob, call the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. Just as he crossed over the Peniel, the sun rose on him, and he limped on his hip. Therefore, to this day, the children of Israel do not eat the muscle that shrunk, which is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip in the muscle and shrunk. Are you in any doubt as to who this man is? Is anyone of any doubt? Well, the place is named appropriately, right? If we're left in any doubt, there it is hanging on verse 30. For I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. Now, I don't blame Jacob for asking, what is your name? Do you? This is steeped in mystery. You've just dislocated my hip. I figured out you are who makes me whole. You can't blame the guy. But, but there's a reason Jesus didn't give him his name. He does in another theophany. And we'll go there in a second. But he didn't give him his name. I, I believe there's, there's certain points in my journey too where I felt, I know Jesus because, you know, he's a Rose of Sharon. He's a Messiah. He's a good shepherd. He's the son of the living God. He's Yeshua. He is Meshach. He's the son of man. He is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Lord of righteousness, the Lord of mercy. I know all these names. Does that mean I know him? I'm coming to know you guys slowly. Right? And you guys have been so loving to me and Krishna Malachi that it's, no, it's blown our hearts away. It really has. And, and I'm looking forward to getting to know you guys more, not just by name, Richard. Knowing your name doesn't mean I know how many sugars you take in your coffee. Now, I know, I know you're sweet enough, you're about to tell me, and you don't take any sugar. But I still don't know some of you really, really well, just because I know your name. So here in this instance, didn't give him his name. Let's go to Judges. This is Samson's parents. Judges chapter 13, Manoah, Samson's father. Do you guys know who Samson is? Yeah. This is Samson's parents, guys. 
and they meet who we're studying about today. Now, he actually comes to Samson's mother first. to be, But then here in verse 17, sorry, I'm going to read from verse 15 rather. Judges 13, verse 15. Then Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, Please let us detain you, and we will prepare a young goat for you. And the angel of the Lord, Malach Adonai, said to Manoah, Though you detain me, I will not eat your food. But if you offer a burnt offering, you must offer it to the Lord. For Manoah did not know that he was the angel of the Lord. Then Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, What is your name? That when your words come to pass, we may honor you. And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why do you ask my name? Seeing it is... It is? Come on guys, let's say it together. His name is? Fine, okay, you guys, come with me to Isaiah 9. I'm going to make you guys read this. I expected more than just Richard. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6. If you're in any doubt as to what the angel of the Lord was saying here. Why do you ask my name that which is? Wonderful. Isaiah 9 verse 6. For unto us a child is born... Unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. He's telling Manoah, why do you ask my name? It's wonderful. Hallelujah. Amen. His name indeed is Wonderful. And as we close, I want to close with the last theophany for today, which is Joshua chapter 5, verse 13. I'll be done in in seven minutes, guys. Joshua chapter 5, verse 13. And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho, that he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, a man stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. Pause. To order to lift your eyes and look, he means he was in a position of prayer. Alone, intimacy. It's all over here. It's key for us in our walk. And we walk with him, and we sang, we talk. Are we? Joshua certainly is in this moment. He's opened his eyes and there stands a being with a sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said, Are you for us or are you for our adversaries? You can picture this trembling man. Are you for me or are you against me? This must be an image of, this is shaking him to his foundation. It's got to be. This manifestation has got Joshua. Are you for me or are you against me? Because I'm trembling here. And we'll have that feeling when you have your intimate moments with the Lord. And this is Lord Shabbat, by the way. Shabbat is the Lord of hosts. Okay? And, and check here the reaction of, of this manifestation. So he said, no, neither. I'm not for you, nor am I against you. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Neither. I'm not here for you. Okay? You're a backslidden group of people. 
who's let me down many a times. I'm here on my father's business. I'm here to win the battle of Jericho for you so that 1,500 years later, I can come in the flesh through a virgin. Neither. Hallelujah. For here I am, and I'll give you my identity, the manifestation. He says, I come as commander of the army of the Lord. And Joshua, Joshua fell on his face on the earth and worshipped him. There's your evidence for who this is. If it was an angel, he would have said, don't worship me, get up. What happened when Thomas saw Christ and felt the holes in his hands? He fell down and worshipped him. Joshua falls down and worships and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? Then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take off your sandals, just like Exodus 3. Take off your sandals off your foot. And the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. Because we're running short of time, I'm going to ask you to read at home James chapter 5, verses 1 to 7. For scripture to interpret scripture, we know who the Lord Sabaoth is. In James chapter 5, verses 1 to 7, it's very clear that Jesus is the Lord of hosts. And as we draw this to a close, you see guys, you need to understand the person of Jesus. Hopefully today, I certainly, when I studied this, got a bit more of an understanding as to who our Jesus is. He is also the God of the Old Testament. And in his priesthoodness, and then in his messengerness, right? Priesthood, Melchizedek, Malak Adonai, angel of the Lord. And then in the end, as we just read, the commander of the army of God. So in his priestness, he's come to give us the covenants. He's come to uphold the covenants. In the messenger, he's given us the gospel and all the witnesses. And then he's coming to judge with a sword in his hand. He's coming again. He's coming again. He's able to come through Genesis, through Revelation, I can assure you. He's able to come. And he tarries in this moment. Maranatha is what I pray on certain occasions. When I see my own family who are not with him yet. And it breaks my heart. And I want you guys to be broken for your family members. I want you guys to know that they don't know him right now like we know him. Like we know him a little bit more today, right? They don't know him like that. They have no idea they're following another Jesus. They're not born again. They're not baptized. They don't see any repentance in their lives. They're being taught a different doctrine, doctrines of devils. This world is coming up with all sorts of doctrines. It is down to us. You see, salvation is today. Salvation, once you come, comes to your family. You ought to be on your knees for them. And when you're on your knees for them and you lift up your eyes, you realize who's with you in this battle. I want us to close by reading our last verse for today, which is Revelations 19, verses 11 to 6. I kept on saying about the sword. Why was the angel of the Lord holding a sword there in the narrow path with the prophet Baal? 
Belial? Why was he holding it there in front of Joshua? In Revelations 19, I'm going to read verses 11 to 16. Now I saw heaven opened, and behold a white horse, and he who sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him out on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe, on his thigh, a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. He's coming again to rule the earth and he will come on a cloud to judge this world and of his righteousness there shall be no end. Every knee will one day bow, every tongue will one day confess to this soon coming king with a sword in his teeth. He's coming not to forgive That's happened. This is the dispensation of grace. Hold on to it fast and pray for your family while grace. For when he comes with a sword in his teeth, he's coming to establish his kingdom, his millennial reign. That's what he's coming for. The fact that me and you are going to reign with him in eternity is a bonus. Hallelujah. We praise God that we're going to reign with him in the millennial reign and then we're going to reign with him again in eternity. But what he's coming for is to establish his kingdom. And as we sing this song, guys, I just want whoever it is in their hearts, or if you want to stand up and declare once again that he is your Lord, that he is your Lord, then let's spend this moment when we sing this song to do that. He is Lord, He is Lord, He is risen from the dead, and He is Lord, every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He's my Lord, He's my Lord, He has risen from the dead, and He's my Lord, and my knee shall bow, and that Jesus Christ is Lord, majesty, worship His majesty, unto Jesus be glory, honor, and praise, majesty. Kingdom authority flows from his throne unto his own. 
His anthem Let's exalt His name. And so exalt, lift up on high the name of Jesus. Magnify, come glorify Christ Jesus the King. Majesty. Worship His majesty, Jesus who died, now glorified, King of all kings. Whoever wants to pray, please, let's spend a few moments in prayer.